0: It's good to be here. For those of you who don't know me, I am Kevin Kurzanabe. I am one of the pastors at South Valley Community Church. I'm kind of responsible for discipleship. I say kind of. It's probably would get fired for saying that. I am responsible for discipleship. Um, and uh, I get to actually close the series. So this is our last in, this, in the series um, this week. And uh, we'll be starting a new series on 1 Thessalonians called To Wait for His Son next Sunday. So if you're interested in that, we will have a curriculum that will be available. Um, but yeah, as we close this out, I mean, this is—it's this uh, the the concept of marriage, sex, gospel, and everything in between. Um, it's been good. I know it's challenging for many of us, um, and hopefully today, I mean, I think there's some of you that that maybe have felt a little bit underrepresented, and I'm going to try to see if I can represent you today, because uh, today we're going to talk about singleness, um, biblical singleness. So a lot of you are like, "Oh, I'm married. Count me out. I'm done." Did you see everyone rushing for the doors? <laughs> uh, but no, this is actually for all of us. Uh, many of the things that we're going to be talking about, uh, we're, we're going to try to get a, a biblical understanding of singleness, understand the challenges in culture, have some practical advice, and also just drag you back in and say, no, 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 no we, are, we are in this together. Um, but you have to realize, I think I, I, what I really want you to do is I want you to raise your understanding of what a single today has to go through. Okay, so how many in the room? How many of you are currently single? That includes divorced, widowed, never married. Um, and I'm gonna even throw, I'm gonna throw a, a fourth category in here, which is there, there are people who are married but are having to live as if they're not. Uh, so that would be a situation where uh, maybe a spouse is incarcerated, maybe a spouse is abusive and therefore there has to be restraint. Um, maybe your spouse, it, it may work actually. I mean, some of these things may work for if, if you have a spouse who's... Um, um, who's an atheist or just, you know, is not a believer. Um, because there is a level of singleness and pressure that you may feel that's kind of similar, but it's not quite. I mean, the, some of the marriage stuff is good for you as well. Um, but I think this is an important thing to recapture is an understanding of what the Bible says about singleness. But we first have to start out with what is happening in the world today when it comes to singles. So... um how many of you, by the way, uh, were single at one point? There's <laughs> like five of you. Come on. You're just like, oh, you're an idiot, Pastor. You were all single. But here's the thing. There's this thing about this um, that I didn't think about, and you can really call me an idiot if you want to. Um, I was, as I was preparing for this, I read this very interesting statement that I wasn't paying attention to. is We are all single at one point, but when you leave life, the majority of us are single as well. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that through divorce, becoming a widow or whatever, that the majority of us, the majority, will end this life and go to be with Jesus as a single person? So do you, do you understand the magnitude of how important this is? Okay, so Pastor Sam and I, we, uh, we usually you know, we, we take turns teaching Branch, which is our young adult group up in, uh, up in Gilroy, and we took an opportunity and said, okay, you know what? This is one of the groups that are single. So let's, rather than teach them, let's sit down and have a, a just question and answer where we ask the questions and they answer for once, right? It's like, hey, tell us what it's like to be single in the world today. And it was amazing what really started to happen. We started to see these two opposing forces start to erect themselves and I started to feel the tension of what it must be because I, I, man, I've been married for 22 years. I don't remember what it's like to be single, and to be honest, the way I feel about things, I kind of don't like. I don't even like sleeping in a bed alone. To be perfectly honest, I'm that kind of guy. I'm like, I don't know if I'm, yeah, I'm needy. Whatever. <laughs> all right. So, but we all have these needs and. When you start to talk to people who are single, you start to understand these two opposing forces. One, on one side, we have we have kind of the cultural force over here, and the cultural force is saying, "You're single, awesome. Go sow your royal oats. Do it. Go enjoy yourself. Gratify every pleasure you have. Make your life as much as you can." And you know what? Even if you know if you're the type who doesn't want to do that, you're weird, and you should have you should feel shame because you will not have the experience. You see that? You see how that gets twisted? You. Go and experience, go experience other people. Enjoy yourself. And one of the epitomes of this whole situation, how many of you have a smartphone? You can read it, it's like five of you, just like the people who've ever been single. (laughs) Um, If you have a smartphone, maybe you're aware of a little app called Tinder. T- Tinder is like the epitome of what the world is telling singles. It Basically, if you don't know, um, and I, I don't know, I had to look this up just so you know. I just want to make sure. If any of this gets back to my wife. Uh, so Tinder is just a, it's a, an app on your phone. Yeah, take a a good picture of yourself, I would suggest, even though I shouldn't be suggesting this at all. You, based on upon how Tinder works, you better take a really good picture of yourself. You put in a, a, a biography, kind of like a little bio about yourself. And what happens is, is the phone has GPS in it, it knows where you live, it knows where other people on Tinder live, and you, it just starts showing you pictures. Just pictures. Swipe left if you're not interested. Well, wait, for you that's right. <laughs> swipe left if you're not interested, swipe right if you are. And here's what happens, as soon as you swipe right, it sends a message to that person who's close to you, but see, what happens is, something that, you know, for all intents and purposes, there's nothing horribly wrong with that. I mean, I, I'd argue that just going on the looks of someone is probably not a, a great way of doing it, but, but you, do have, you do have some information about the person, right? So you can make some, some honest decision. But at the end of the day, that has turned into a hookup app. All you do is, you know what? I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling down. I want, I want to have pleasure. So you know what? Swipe right. And if I get that call, hey, where do you want to meet? No depth, very little relationship. Just enjoy each other. The world is encouraging. I mean, and if you look at the numbers, marriage is decreasing. Singleness is increasing. People are are not only taking longer to get married, some are just choosing not to get married, right? And some of you are thinking, well, that's just wrong. I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. That's what we're gonna talk about today. There's nothing inherently wrong about wanting to stay single. And we'll see, the Bible talks specifically about this. But in this clash of cultures, that's the one side, the earthly side, the cultural side. Then there's what I'll call the traditional or churchy side. I like the word churchy. Nacho sure Libre uses it. Um, on the churchy side of things, so that I will call this like this, so family does this, maybe um, your older generation, grandparents, uncles, aunts. So they, they ask, hey, how are you doing? You seeing anybody? No? Oh. Uh, So it's an immediate response. And in that O, you can see, like, is it, there's something wrong with you. You're not complete yet. You are something to be pitied. And I'm gonna argue, much of this is informed by a traditional view of marriage and even a churchy side of things. So imagine for a second that you are single. Some of you can because you are. (laughs) You're sitting, you're standing right between these opposing forces, right? And there's this identity crisis that occurs. I have one side saying, go be the best you, enjoy the heck out of it. You don't need to get married. Just find people you can enjoy for a period of time. If it be Tinder or if it be a two year relationship where you live together for a little bit, go ahead and enjoy yourself. And on the other side of the equation, we're hearing you know what? You're not totally fulfilled and you're kind of pitiable, but let me offer you some unsolicited, pithy advice. Have any of you singles got this? Any of you that are widows or divorced or like, have you ever got that from people who mean, I'm going to tell you, most of them mean well, but they do not have what I will call a full biblical view of singleness. It's hard when someone tells you something like that because deep down, even if you know intellectually what the Bible says about singleness, you feel less than. I need someone else to make me, bring me to fulfillment. And while there is true, there is one who does do this and that's what we're gonna get into today. But okay, so how does this identity crisis actually begin? We're gonna go Old Testament here for a second. We're go to the first page of your Bible. Could be second, not sure. You see this. This is where God, in the creation account, God says, I'm going to make image bearers. Go. God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. This was a good thing. He's been saying, good, 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 good. Good thing. Let me bless you. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Awesome. We are called to be image bearers. We are called to represent the king. And to be honest, you are to reign like a king, kings and queens. You reign on earth doing the same thing that he's he's done. He got his hands dirty in the mud. He made things. He made a wonderful good creation that was of his design and his thinking. So as we understand his thinking, we represent that thinking out into the world in what we work and how we work and how we raise families and how we do relationships. Everything we do is to represent in essence you are you are building culture. You're doing. So there's nothing wrong. By perfectly honest, Tinder the Tinder app itself if used correctly is just culture building. But at the end of the day the motivation behind it matters. Right? The, the motivation of the people who make it and the motivation of the people who use it matter. You will see someone who knows how to reign and worship the king when you see how they use that, that technology. So if you if, by the way, so if any of you are using Tinder and you're using it correctly, don't, don't be offended by what I've said. I'm just saying that is culturally the way people use it today. So you were to be reigning on God's behalf in his creation, continuing that wonderful path forward and building and working and so forth. And it says to be fruitful and multiply to subdue, have dominion. Okay, page two, just turn the page, boom. Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Okay, if you're single right now and you pair those two things up, you're in a quandary. Okay, I'm supposed to be fruitful and multiply, have dominion, and it's not good that I'm alone. Do you feel that tension? Do you feel that maybe this traditional churchy side stopped reading their Bible at page two? It's true, though. It's true. So these things, they as they come together for a single, you know, I don't care what it is. If you're divorced, if you're a widow, if, if you have never been married, there's a weight to this along with the weight of just how you, I mean, you're living in a culture and we're going to get, there's more weight to be put in here. But we have to think about the New Testament and what it says about singleness. And I want to kind of, Pause for a second, and, and I want you to think about, um, if we think of what I'll call Abrahamic religions, people that trace their, their religion back to Father Abraham, who had seven sons, or... <laughs> <laughs> All right? If you think about them, that would be Judaism. It would be Islam. It would be Christianity. And we could even include Latter-day Saints, like Mormons, right? Three of those four... Have this view of marriage. If you're not married, you're less than. Singleness is deplorable. Guess which one stands out? Christianity is the one that has a unique view of singleness. And, and it, for, for Judaism, it's obvious. Page one and two is what you got. You, know, you, you, you don't go to the New Testament. You don't go here. So what does the New Testament have to say? These are Jesus' words. Jesus has just encountered a conversation uh, about divorce where they're trying to, to catch him. And uh, he basically tells them, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Um, and through the conversation he has, his disciples are listening in. And what they basically end up, at the end of the conversation, they kind of turn around and they're like, sounds like it's a bad thing to be married. We probably shouldn't be married then, right? And Jesus says this. He says, you know what? It is a hard thing to hear. This is a hard statement. There are eunuchs who, let me stop for a second on the word eunuch. For those of you that don't know, a eunuch is someone who's had the reproductive organ cut off. So they can't be fruitful and multiply. Okay, um, And this was, you know, this was actually a common practice back in, in ancient times because if you were in the court of a king and you were, to be, you were basically taking care of the harem, they don't want you messing with the harem. So they, they would, you would be someone who served the king. You would have a very high role, but you would pay a high price for it. There's all kinds of other reasons where, why this would happen in, in the normal course of, of life in the ancient, ancient world, but there are some things that are even common today. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. That still happens today. There are, we were born, some people are born either with no sex drive or actually organ problems where it just can't happen, right? There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, that goes back to that ancient practice, and there are those who've become the, so for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. What you have to know is that in it, Jesus is a Jew, right? Got that? Don't forget that one. That's one you got to start with. Jesus is a Jew. In the Jewish faith, someone who actually was not able to basically be fruitful and multiply like this, were not allowed within the temple. They couldn't come to worship. They were kind of separated from the congregation. But Jesus is saying this, there's a little tweak that's going on. And you're like, hmm, so what does this mean? Well, how about the Apostle Paul? I highly recommend for those of you who are interested, go home, read 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 together, and you'll get a much fuller view. I'm just going to give you a little bit of tidbits about it. Paul says this as he's going through talking about what to do when you're married. I mean, the Corinthian church was pretty jacked up, much like our own, right? We, we all have this brokenness in our churches. And he says this, now, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. And Paul is speaking of his singleness. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay, so we have a little bit more of a view into how the New Testament is seeing singleness. Paul is basically saying, look, with the job that I have, it's better. There are advantages to being single, and I want you all to recognize this. Uh, Isaac has used the term of it's it's bypassing the simple symbol and going straight to the source. The whole point of singleness is you are connected. You have chosen to connect yourself directly with God. And this does not mean it has to be permanent because we are all single. We've already established it. We've all single at some point in our lives. The whole point is, is you have time to use that time to connect yourself directly with God. Here, let me let me give you another part of this. For those of you married in the room, you know this. It's like you listen to those voices that said, hey, you're not whole until you're married, or you're like me and you're needy, and you're like, oh, I need, a, I need me a wife. And you get, and you're like, oh, my life would be perfect when I get married. Now we need counseling, right? It's... It's, it's funny how it's like we, we, we assume that marriage is gonna resolve everything in someone's life, and it doesn't, it actually just complicates matters. You now are living in the very, you, it, is, it is a one, when I, and it says oneness, it's talking about sexuality, but at the same time, there is this intimate oneness that's like anything you do, you have another to concern yourself with. And in fact, if your oneness has been effective, you have more than one to be concerned with because you probably have other kids. <laughs> This is an important thing, you gotta realize. It is not easy, so when Paul says, hey, it's probably better, he's basically saying, look, you can take risks and not be giving up the job of taking care of a family. You can go do things that a married person cannot do because by the God's given gift of a spouse, they are called to take care of that spouse, to show the oneness of the Trinity with that spouse and their children that we are one in this family. You might wanna move this, cause I'm spitting, I'm gonna get spit all in a communion. <laughs> You so, got a second tally? Okay, I'll yeah, I'll left it. All right. But you get, you get what I'm saying here. Yeah, everyone's going to be coming over this. It's going to be like full. It's a good thing we're not Catholic. I'd be eating. All right. Sorry. Little setback. All right. But I want you to think about this. From Paul's perspective and Jesus' perspective, there is nothing wrong with singleness. In fact, they would say it's good. I'm gonna use a word, exceptional. If you are single, you are exceptional. And I'm using it by two two different ways. (laughs) Thank you for that. Do you have something I can wipe my lips with? Thanks, Angela. Awesome. That's a church body in action right there. All right. So... So if you think of singleness, you are you are single, you're exceptional. And, and what I mean by that is you have exceptional advantages. You have the ability to do certain things now that when you're married, you just can't do. And when you have kids, you just can't do. And when I'm saying that, I'm not talking about the vacation to the Poconos. I'm talking about serving the king of the universe. You have an ability to go straight to the source. By the way, and I brought this up later in the, in the uh, sermon earlier, You have to know that the biblical view of marriage is that it's temporary. I don't care how much you love your spouse who's sitting right next to you, God says you will be forever in eternity and your husband is the king himself. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. It's kinda whacked in my opinion, but the Bible says it, so I believe it, I do. There's something temporary and something that points to the gospel, that points to the king in a marriage covenant that we will be covenanted directly to the king when, when we go to be with him, whenever that is. So if you're single, you are acting out what will be true in eternity. You are connected to Christ, you are con- connected to the church eternally, as you should be. Does that make sense? I want you to raise the bar. So New Testament, got an idea. Now, for those of you that are married, I, I, none of this should make you like, oh, I shouldn't be married then. No, that's not that's not what this is saying at all. Remember, Paul said, whatever condition you are in, it's a gift, Okay. Burning with passion. So we're going to take a little bit of a side, side, a uh, little bit of a rat hole here. Hold on. So the problem is there's there's this challenge that singles have, and and Isaac and I were talking about this, and he was he always informs me when we have conversations with him. But he's like, hey, you got to understand historically. Today we get we're getting married later and later and later for those who choose to be married, right? I don't know what the number is, but it's getting later and later. But here's the other thing, thing that we, we probably don't understand. Puberty, sexual readiness is happening earlier and earlier and earlier physiologically in our culture. In the ancient culture, their understanding is, they've been doing research on this and they're saying, no, they, didn't, they actually didn't hit puberty. They didn't hit the age of sexual maturity until probably their mid-teens. And when did they get married? Their mid-teens. Much of the marriages were arranged. So you understand that that loneliness that might be felt now, that, that whole challenge that might be felt now, probably was less of I mean, I'm not saying it's not a challenge, I'm saying it's less of a challenge back then. I, I mean, I'm hearing numbers like, puberty is starting pre-10 years old now. It's moving that direction. I don't, I, don't want, I can't imagine my kids having sex at all. I'm like, don't do it. No, I'm just joking. But it's like, you know, you're talking about your, your kids. You're like, this is too young. It's too young so there's this challenge that if you're single that you're dealing with this especially those that are the never married and on top of this you have a culture that screams to you you're an individual don't worry about jane or joe around you you're an individual be the best individual that you can be you are a fief hired for you're taking care of your fiefdom you're the king in your own castle So this loneliness, this extended amount of time, we're taught to be individuals, so what do we do? We isolate. I can take care of this on my own, I got it all taken care of. This is what being single means. It's hard, you're lonely. Your culture says, that's good, kind of, right? In this individual sense. And if you don't wanna be lonely, just go go on Tinder for a day. No, it's nonsense. Paul puts it this way to the Corinthian church. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It says flee porneia. This Greek word is kind of, depending on context, has a, It's like everything sexual you know you shouldn't do. Right? God's will for sexuality is between functional, uh, different, equal opposites. And when you're doing it outside of that, that is sexual immorality. It says, run. Run as if you have a swarm of Africanized bees chasing you down the road. You run. And, And the thing about that is, the swarm moves all kinds of directions. So you don't know which direction you're running. It doesn't really matter. You just run away from that thing. And the point is, is that, you know, i use that, that metaphor only because if you stay over here and you're like, okay, they stop. All of a sudden you see them swirl and start coming back after you. That's the thing about sexual, uh, sexual immorality. It's, it's on your heels all the time. It's always there. So I'm going to give you a couple of pieces of practical advice. I am a man. So, um, forgive me if this feels very male, um, but it's my only context. Um, but I think it does work for everybody, and it does work for every, when I say everybody, I mean, if even if you're married in the room, this works for you, the application might be slightly different. All right? so I'm just gonna give you some simple things. Um, and for those of you that know, I've shared my story with many of you, but many of you may not know I've had, I've struggled with pornography for a long time in my life. Started very early. But God, somehow, I'm one of those unique people who God delivered me from it about 10 years ago. Just absolutely delivered me, don't even worry. But I still need to flee. I still have things that get in the way that, that prompt me, that make me you know, think of un- unthinkables. You have to be on your toes. First thing, don't touch. Now, if you're married, this does not count, but it <laughs> does. But it does. In the sense of you don't want, touch is an interesting thing. There are people in the room, and I, I promise you, there are people in the room that are longing for another human being to touch them. And touch is a good thing. My point is simple. If you have any kind of attract, personality attraction to someone, you don't know them. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. You have to use hokmah, right? Isaac talked about wisdom last week. You have to use wisdom. But the point is, if you are attracted in the slightest to someone, you don't touch them. Because that can lead to the next thing. Okay. people need. Hu- I need to be hugged. Like I said, I'm needy. I'm a touch person, too. I'll often put my hand on a brother's shoulder or, or whatever. I am that kind of person, but I have to be wise. I have to be careful. I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea, and I don't want my mind to be doing anything it shouldn't do. Don't touch. Learn your triggers. Okay, for all of us, male, female, in the room, there are things that happen just before the thing that's not supposed to happen. Straightforward, right? You put bait on a hook, a fish bites it. If you pick the right bait and you're a good angler, right? We have bait that sometimes we create and you have to pay attention, understand them and the interesting thing is Satan is so manipulative that these triggers can change. Same thing it is today might be different next week. You have to pay attention to what triggers you. What triggers that thought? What triggers you to look at another image bearer in in such a demeaning and objectifying way? If you look at your spouse that way, rock on. Like that's, hey, that's what you guys are there for that intimacy. That, that's an intimacy that you don't find in the same way in many ways. But you need to learn your triggers. Okay, re-image. So we've been talking about the very imago day the image of God that God has put his likeness on us. When you look at another person and you feel it's even mildly inappropriate, you need to reimage them. You need to reimagine that this is a daughter or son of the king of the universe. One that he finds, I don't care if they believe in Jesus or not, it's one that he wants. It is his good pleasure to bring them back to him. So when you look at them in some degrading way, you are tearing down the image of God and your own. You're acting more like an animal that does not bear the image of God. Does this make sense? You have to re-image and re-image familiarly. Does that work familiarly? Okay. You reimage, think about it. This son or daughter has a mother and father. Are you a mother or father? Would you want to imagine someone looking at your child that way? thinking about your child that way? So you rewire, you rethink your mind you will have these thoughts. That's the you know this is actually the glorious thing about the gospel. Is that even in that madness? The king of the universe comes for you. Jesus Christ comes for you and loves you and wants you. Okay, re-image. Redefine love by the cross. In our culture, we have such a shallow view of love. We, We hear the word love and it just makes us so warm and a bunch of red hearts float all over the place. Our text messages are full of them, our emojis. And what I want to tell you is that those hearts and emojis should be shaped like a drop of blood. Because if you really think about what love is, love is self-sacrificial, humble, pouring out for someone else. It's the very thing that we are called into to pick up your torture device every day and walk with your king. So when you think about love and you feel like, oh, I think I love him or I think I love her, you should be thinking about, well, what love does that mean? Are you ready for them to vomit on your face? Right, and not be upset about it. No, I'll clean myself up. I'll help you. I know you're sick. I mean, I've had my daughter. Everyone in my family, by the way, I I may have told this before, but everyone in my family throws up on me. And it's kind of my kryptonite. Like, I can do with pee and poop, you know, as kids and cleaning diapers. That's all good. But when they throw up on you, it's like. The worst, was, the worst one, was, actually, i got to tell this, because I have a little bit more time than I did earlier. The worst one was just in bed, my little toddler daughter. She's sleeping between my wife and I, and I got my back to her, and all I hear is this. It wasn't much. It was just like a, and then a, right on my back. And it's like, what do you do? You can't, you know, it's, you can't wipe it off, so you're changing. I, it's, it's horrible. But, I mean, you gotta, you got to know, I have to love my, I am called to love my daughter then, then is when I need to love her. Then is when I need to be more supportive. Then is when I need to say, honey, I love you, I care about you, how can I help you? This is a love we need to recapture. When we talk about love and it's relational, you need to be thinking, love by the one who died on a cross. That's love. That is the definition that should swirl around our head anytime we, be, we are thinking even about, and again, it's good. You want to be attra- Being attracted to someone's not wrong. That's fine. God has called some of us to marriage. Rock on. You just need to be careful as you approach it. right? You don't want to be burning with passion. And then the final thing is seek presence. And we're going to go deeper through this. But this is basically talking about <clears throat> seek, seek the presence of God. We're going to go back through these verses. And I'm going to give it to you in the KKSV. That's the Kevin Kerr's name Southern version. <clears throat> and you're going to see that it's, you'll see why. I'm taking the exact same verse and I'm, I'm making sure you understand the plurals. Y'all. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do y'all not know that y'all's body is a temple, singular, of the Holy Spirit within y'all, whom y'all have from God? Y'all are not y'all's own, for y'all were bought with a price. So y'all glorify God in y'all's body. All right. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory if you do it that way, right? You were... This is speaking of y'all, one body. Paul, earlier on, says it this way. Do y'all not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and y'all are that temple. So when we say temple, we have to understand what this is. If you were a Jew in ancient times, and I'm not saying like if you sinned, no. When you sinned, when, shoot, when you had, you know, for women, if it was their menstrual cycle, if it were men and they had, you know, bad dreams at night, if, it, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, you were, you, where did you go find cleanliness? Where did you go find forgiveness? Where did you go find purity? You went to the temple. That's what you did. You'd sacrifice. And God's grace poured out, the symbol was that sacrifice. You were forgiven. Everything was good. They would go to the temple. So when you hear Paul say those words, you have to think. What does that mean for the single? Where do you go when you seek significance? Where do you go when you seek to be known? Because at the end of the day, I'm not gonna tell you that when the Bible says it is not good that man should be alone, that is absolutely accurate. We don't just say, oh, for singles, that doesn't count. No, 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 no. It's arguably more important. So what do we do? How is it that we live? For a second, I'm gonna talk about a friend of mine Um, He actually sent this this message to Sam. Sam and I are both friends. He was part of our church years ago. He's a young guy. Um, At this point, I am relatively certain he's an alcoholic. Um, He probably has undiagnosed mental illness, maybe schizophrenia, maybe bipolar, maybe a little both. I don't know. Um, He's, you know, he's young. And he said this. For some people, the promise of the church as a family is a dangling. Now, the image, you have to think of the image. Imagine that horse or that donkey that's driving the cart, and it has that stick in front of it with a carrot dangling in had, a carrot that it, it is totally motivated by. It is the thing that is, it is driving it along with no certainty that it will ever get it. And I guarantee you that, my friend, that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I never got to have that carrot. I never, ever enjoyed that carrot. And this is hard. You know, as a pastor, as somebody who's been in the church a long time, it's hard to hear my friend whom I love. I spent time with him say this, but it's so true. I spent time interviewing some more people. Um, I have a friend who, <clears throat> she's one of those, you know, the, the kind of the exceptional fourth category where she's living with an unbelieving husband. And I talked to her about the church. And you know, to be honest, there's some things like, yeah, I don't necessarily want people all up in my business all the time. That's fair. Then I talked to my mom. And for those of you who don't know, um, my mom used to live in Southern California, like her whole life. I just moved her up here uh, two years ago. Um, So, and my father passed away when I was 15. So she has been a widow For 33 years, and 30 of that alone, like my brother and I were off in college and getting married and having our own families, and we've been separated by distance. She was in LA, and you're up north. Um, And I sat down with her and had lunch with her a few days ago, and I just said, you know, how did the church, like, how did the church respond to you becoming a widow? And granted, she's not one of those widows that requires financial assistance or anything like that. She doesn't. You know, my dad did pretty well. My dad was not a believer, um, at least not until I, I, I was not there. But apparently, there was a deathbed confession. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, but I know God is good. Um, and I was thinking back, we were like trying to think at the funeral, was anyone from our church there? And we couldn't think of it. Now, my, my father was not a believer, and we were kind of early on. We were probably five years into the faith. My mom had become a Christian at 80, and this was about 85. And then I said, well, what, what would you have wanted? And it didn't work last sermon, trying not to cry, but... My mom looked me in the eyes, she says, you know, I just wanted someone to say, hey, you wanna go to a movie? So for 30 years, my mom who poured herself in the church, volunteered at the church, she's not an extrovert, she's introverted, and that's part of it. I mean, you do have to ask, but at some point, I believe that people are saying, invade my singleness step in, come to me, I could use it. I am isolated, alone. The world tells me to be an individual I don't want to be. I have my connection with my king, but at the end of the day, I need his people. Do you understand? It's a a both way thing. It's something that we miss. Paul puts it this way later but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are, y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now when you see this word member, this is not membership. This is, you are a appendage of this physical body of Jesus, who are called to surround and live your life like him. You call you, all of your strength, all of your power, all of your direction comes from him. But some weird reason, God's plan A is us. He's like, no, my kingdom will go forth in its image bearers those that are called back and remember page one of the Bible. And they say, no, 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 I'm called to represent my king and funnel all of my effort, my work, my family life, my relationships into what he would want. And that is, that's often, that you, you, if you garden, if you if you bust tables, if you work, this, these are all good cultural things. They are things that expand God's God's will into the world. That's all good. But are you doing it on his behalf? So I ask the same as, as a church, are we doing it on behalf of the singles? Is there someone who needs you to invade their space? And I'm not talking about with unsolicited, pithy, like, eh, no. You actually get to know someone. You you pour yourself out into their lives and understand a bit of who they are. And then you ask, hey, how can I help you? Or maybe, do you want to go to a movie? There's a single gospel. When I say that, that gospel is for married and single. I don't care if you're widowed. I don't care if you're divorced. I don't care if you're one of those that are struggling in a marriage or you're living like you're single. This gospel is for all of us. But the way that it actually gets delivered, the thing that we're called to is together. And and if you remember Isaiah at all, at the very end, toward the end of Isaiah, there's this wonderful stuff that starts to boil up about how things will be. And it's talking about the Messiah, and it says this, sing, sing, O barren one who did not bear Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. There's actually another one in in Isaiah 56 I didn't put up here, and it's basically, don't be a eunuch who says, I'm like a dryad a shriveled up tree. No, he says, no, I'm gonna give you a name and a monument for the eunuch. I don't know how the Israelites deal deal with that one, but this is them calling forth. It's calling, there's a Messiah coming who brings something more, something bigger. And those that are desolate will have more children. Well, what does that mean? How can that possibly work? In Mark, Jesus says this, and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, "You, your mother and your, he's not saying this, he's seeing the other part. Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about it, At those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. The very crowd that had organized themselves around him, he's saying, This is family. Not because they deserve to be in my presence, but they showed up. They showed up. You are part of a new family. It's not a perfect, I mean, your family's not perfect. I don't care how much you think it is. My family's not perfect. Our church family's not perfect, but we are designed. We are the ones who carry forth the DNA of King Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who came on our behalf, who shed his blood. He didn't pour out heart emojis. He poured out his blood for each of us so that we could be a part of this family. So think about this. You've all been adopted. There's other parts where Paul talks about, you've been adopted into this family. Are you the type of person Especially, I would say, those of you who are married, who are in a relationship, are you the type of person that says, I'm adopted and have been invited into a family. I would like to invite you to be in our presence for dinner. One of the interesting things that the people at Branch, the young adults said was, wouldn't it be cool if families actually invited us in so we knew what it was like to be in a family, the good and the bad, that we could recognize what a good parent looks like, what a a bad parental situation looks like. Because oftentimes, let's face it, you invite someone into that space, there will be a time you do something wrong. If you, let me just put it this way, if you have things around you, like if you have stuff in your house or you have people over and it's all good, fellowship koinonia, right? And they never see you get upset, do something wrong, I'm gonna argue maybe you're not deep enough into what God would call this new family. Because this family is a family that confesses to one another. This is a family that is accountable to one another. And it's hard and it's difficult. And sometimes, it's the same thing. But you you are not sometimes the person that would tell that person that they're doing something wrong. But you seek a way of bringing them into the right. Because what? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the body. All of us members, crucial, critical. So in order to get this and move it forward. I want you to think about this. That be fruitful and multiply thing is very valid. The not being alone is very very valid. But I want you to mix it. You take Genesis 1 and you mix mash it together with Matthew 28 and you say, "Okay, now I can go therefore to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that Jesus taught." Because the go fruit, be fruitful, and multiply, yes, go have real physical children, but yes, they should be spiritual children of the kingdom as well. So if you're single, you can do that. You can be fruitful and multiply. You can go to the nations and say, I know of a king, you want to meet him? Married couples, you can go to those singles and invite them in and say, hey, I know a king, you know the same king. Let's, let's care for one another. Let's be there in a real, tangible way. Presence. So seeking presence is seeking presence of of God eternally and the Church eternally. We are the bride of Christ, and again we go back and remember that those of you that are married, for some reason, don't know how it works. But God says that marriage. Jesus Himself says marriage is temporary. That when you are with the King of the Universe, when at all at the consummation of all things, those that were single actually were. More like what would be the etern- eternal status, because they would be single in body, married to the king. We're going to take communion. Uh, worship band, you guys can come up. <laughs> this is the tainted one. I'm going to argue. Um, I want you as you as you come together. Th- this is this is literally, and I think I honestly believe this came from a family meal. And and, and I mean, there's nothing, it is communion. If you invite people into your house and you break bread with them and you talk about Jesus and just enjoy each other's company, talk about work, family, things you're struggling with, you're communing with them in the broadest sense of the word. This tells us to remember. Remember that the very body you were given, this church body came because one allowed his to be broken. We take the body of Christ that was broken. We take the blood that was shed on all of our behalf. Do not be an individual. Do not listen to the culture when it says that you are just an individual. No, you are part of a body and that body requires all members to come together and sing glory to God through our actions, our words, our hands, our feet, in our work, in our our play, in our families, in our relationships, in our singleness. So don't look, look at where you are and say, God, this is a gift from God. How am, I, how am I experiencing that gift right now? How am I taking advantage of this? How am I coming closer through that? So as you take communion, think about that. Maybe, maybe there is someone who's on your heart. And I'm not even gonna say, maybe they're not even single. You don't even know. Are you being a member of God's family with them? Are you sharing your life in such a way that's scary when you start confessing brokenness? Are you doing that? body broken. You have a body. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good, glorious, our King. You have given us this body. You've been so generous with just this Hollister local body of church. I pray that we would all look to each other to build one another up, to suffer when we each of us suffer, to to give glory when each of us are having a a wonderful time in affliction, in joy, We want you to be our king. We don't want to come to you just when there's problems. We want to come to you in everything as it's meant to be because you are a good, glorious, merciful, just king. Let your truth ring forth in everything that we do. In Jesus' name.